everyone, welcome to another episode of Everyone Hates Marketers.com, the no fluff, actionable marketing podcast for people sick of marketing bullshit. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. After four years, 175 episodes recorded, 9,625 minutes of no bullshit content published, and 1 million plus downloads reached, I felt it was time to shake things up a bit. You see, I want to help you radically stand out because I firmly believe it's the only way for you to succeed without marketing bullshit. So moving forward, each episode is going to be around 20 minutes long. Each episode is going to be super practical where I'm going to teach you one way to radically stand out that you can apply to your business today. I'm going to use snippets of past interviews, the lessons I've learned from my own experience and plenty of concrete examples. Oh, and one last thing. I'm also turning each of those episodes into the only newsletter focusing on differentiation and positioning so you can read at your own pace and remember the concept I'm teaching. If it's of interest, I hope you'll sign up today on everyonehatesmarketers.com. I'll also notify you when I launch new stuff and products and you can win rewards for referring other mavericks to the newsletter, like branded cups and t-shirts and posters and private group coaching and plenty of other nice little surprises. All right, on to the podcast. The first interview with Seth Godin that I published on my podcast was in July 2017. And it changed my life. You might expect it changed my life because I got to talk to someone and really deeply admired, someone I had bought books from before, like Purple Cow, that really inspired me to become a marketer when I wasn't one. You might think as well that it changed my life because it gave me a boost in credibility. The podcast Everyone Hates Marketers was only starting and I got a chance to talk to this guy at the start of it. You might also think it changed my life when it comes to the number of views I got on YouTube. At this stage, this video got more than 200,000 views. Or because of comments like that, in 51 minutes and 22 seconds, I've learned what I didn't in eight years in the marketing space. Those are all nice things for sure. And sure, it really deeply impacted my life. But I would argue that the moment in the first interview that really changed things for me, really changed my perspective, was when I asked him a question about how do you make a commodity type of company to stand out? So this is the question I ask and pay attention to the answer that Seth Godin gave. There is an industry that, I, that really annoys me. It's the telcos. So internet providers, phone providers, mobile internet, that kind of stuff. To me, that's the summary. If I had to choose one industry, they are the ones that are really racing to the bottom. They are always competing on price. They are coming up with every single time the same features, right? Let's say we have a brilliant idea of starting our own internet company. We provide internet just like the others, but how would you make it remarkable? You asked the question exactly the wrong way. I don't know if you did that on purpose. Oh, no. you, can't, <laughs> you, you can't begin by saying, how do we make it just like the others and make it remarkable? You have to say, how do we make it different from the others so that it is remarkable? And then you say, and how do we make it for the smallest possible audience? And that part takes discipline. But when I think about the magic of an internet company or a telecom company, what do they do for a living? They connect us to other people, something we desperately want. So there are only two ways to do it. You can connect us to other people the way everyone else connects us to other people, in which case I'd like the cheapest, thank you very much, 
or you can connect us to different people in a different way, people I can only reach through you. This is what Facebook does. Facebook says anyone could build the software that's Facebook. It would take 10 smart people a month because you're copying it, but it wouldn't be worth it because the people you want to reach aren't on your site. They're on Facebook. So the opportunity for someone is to say, where's the minimum sized group of people who desperately want to be connected in a new way? If I can connect them using hardware and software, they'll want to be connected because they don't want to be left out. And from that little circle, if what I'm doing actually works, the circle will get bigger. That is the way it always happens. So as you can hear, it changed my life because I understood why I fell in love with marketing in the first place. I understood why marketing was so much more than just promoting something to someone else's. I understood that marketers were actually change makers in the right sense of the world, which means that we were able to influence and even design and create products, services, experiences that we could then engineer for the right people and then radically stand out from that thing. And so the fatal mistake that most of us, most marketers and even entrepreneurs are forced to make is to take an ordinary product that already exists, that is for kind of everyone, there's nothing edgy about it, and market it to get customers, right? And that's a mistake I see over and over again. We are seen as communicators, promoters. We don't have a seat at the table when it comes to influencing the product we even sell. And you can hear that in the, the answer that Seth Godin gave, which is how do you make it just like the others and make it remarkable? It's impossible. So you can't ask, here is an ordinary product and here a marketer, just promote it. Just, just find customers now. Mark Ritson, who's a brand consultant and a former professor who teaches the mini MBA in marketing, calls this communification. And he says, this is another clumsy word I made up. It's meant to describe the fact that not only are marketers adept at just tactics, they actually only focus on one small, relatively un unimportant subset of marketing tactics, communications, for all of their efforts. I won't get into the eternal debate about how many P's you should divide your ta tactics into. Suffice to say, most modern marketers are convinced that the four or seven or 10 P's are dead. I still like my big four P's of product, price, promotion, and place. However you slice your tactical pie, there is no doubt that most marketers of the last decade are inherently obsessed with a promotional P and have virtually nothing to say about pricing or distribution. This is insane because although it is unfair to play favorites, if you really had to kill one of your tactical puppies, the promotional one is clearly the least essential in the mix for most brands. Give me a great product sold through omnichannel in the right way at the optimum price and it's going to be okay. Sure. A great integrated communication plan will make things sell faster and further, but if you want to choose the one tactic to leave without, it will be the one most marketers spend all of their time obsessing over. At that next marketing conference, take a long hard look at the agenda. Now count the sessions focusing on some form of marketing communications versus the session on all the other topics. See what I mean? I see marketing as three equal challenges of diagnosis, strategy, and tactics, and I see communications as one quarter of the tactical challenge. That means it should be about 8% of the stuff we talk about in marketing. I mean, I absolutely love what he says there, and that's from a book called Eat Your Greens, uh, which is a collection of marketing experts sharing 
tidbits like that. And this is exactly what Seth Godin challenged me when I asked this question. We are not just communicators expecting to just focus on the 8% of the marketing kind of umbrella. We are there as marketers to influence the product we're selling, the price that, it, that people pay for, and the way it's distributed to the people. And so this is the problem, and this is why it's a fatal mistake. Alan Deeb, who's the author of the one-page marketing plan, also said the following, basically calling it putting lipstick on a pig. So very often people try to do what I call uh, putting lipstick on a pig. So, <laughs> you know, they, they, um, they, they have a, an offer that's kind of so-so or me too, or whatever, and then they think adding marketing to it is the thing that's going to make it work. And that's when you get into pushy, sleazy tactics. And Ali Lefevre, who's an agency owner I've also interviewed on the podcast that focuses on humor, said pretty much the exact same thing. We don't want to put lipstick on a pig. We're not going to try to make something seem better than it is, but there are definitely tactics that can make people pay attention to you in a way that maybe they wouldn't previously. So what's the problem with that mistake, right? What's the problem with that vision of marketing to just be, hey, here's a shitty product that is basically for everyone, now market it. The problem is that we enter into a cycle of death. Because we have shitty product that is for everyone, we are forced to use crazy promises and pushy, sleazy tactics to differentiate because that's the only way. And we're under pressure, we need to feed our families and we need to keep our jobs, so we have to do that. Therefore, we interrupt as many people as possible. Therefore, the results are not so good. Therefore, there is no money to make the product or experience even better. Therefore, there is a growing inconsistency between what we say and the reality Therefore, marketers get slammed. It's your fault. You didn't sell enough. And we get fired or we get demoted and marketers uh, lose a seat at the leadership table. And then we start the cycle all over again. We use crazier promises, etc., etc. You got it. So let me break it down by sharing what Seth Godin and others have said about each step. The first one, using storytelling or like crazy promises and pushy tactics to differentiate. And it makes the point that it's really about if you do this, it's, it's a race to the bottom for attention. We let ourselves off the hook by making ever crazier promises to people that we know we can't keep because our competition is making these promises. So we feel like we have to outpromise them. So that's where the flat belly diet comes from. That's where the idea of seducing people into going into debt comes from. Because we say, well, it's not me, it's my competition. And then, once you have that, you interrupt as many people as possible. And Seth Godin here has to say something about this. If you say, my only job is to get eyeballs, and my job is to get eyeballs as cheap as possible, then you buy into algorithmic advertising. Then you buy into sneaking around tracking people's data. Then you buy into questionable content that you're busy paying for. Then you buy into the degradation of our culture as we rush to make everything dumber and make it more of a click. All of that starts with this misguided assumption that all attention is the same and that we don't need to be trusted. So we interrupt as many people as possible. Results are shit. There's no money to make the product expense better. And then there's a growing major inconsistency between what we say and the reality. And Uli Applebaum, who's a brand positioning consultant I interviewed on the podcast uh, before, says the following on this. 
it goes beyond communication, right? So when you take the customer perspective and you think about how are brands being perceived, how does someone form an opinion or a perception about something? It's the personal experience with a brand or an objective. So you tell me there's this great brand of yogurts. I try it, it tastes like shit. I'm not going to buy it again. And 20 people can tell me it's the greatest product out there. I'm still not going to buy it. So it's personal experience. It's like shared experiences, which is what is it my friends, my neighbor, my colleagues tell me I should buy as a camera, you know, as a lawnmower, as a new snack, whatever it is. And then there is the marketing activities that are created by the brand, the website, the brand experiences created, the online experience and all these kind of things. So all these elements help shape the perception a customer or consumer has about a brand, a product or a service. But what you can influence as the brand is what this experience is going to be like, what hopefully people will say about you and what your marketing and look and feel will look like. And that is the part that is driven by the positioning segment. So it's the sender versus the receiver, right? So I can say something and hope that you understand what um, I meant. And the worst thing that can happen is that I that you misunderstand what I'm trying to say. And then you have a different brand perception than how I try to position my brand. And yeah, after that, marketers get slammed and we start all over again. What really boils my blood is that many positioning books entertain the myth that by telling your creation story or being the preferred brand by like dentists or playing on your heritage, telling your creation story, you are going to stand out and that's all you need. And it's far from being the truth. It's far from being the truth. It's not enough to just put lipstick on a pig by telling a good story about your brand and having a good message and all of that. If you want to radically stand out, thinking that you can only influence the communication part of it is going to really be, you're going to have a bad time. So what's the right solution? Honestly, it's all about aligning what you do with what you say. That's the challenge with truly good marketing. What you do is the behavior you have. It goes beyond the feature you offer or the price you offer or the way you answer support or whatever. It's everything that you do and also everything you don't. It's about going all in into one direction and being able to influence the products you're expected to sell so they are worth talking about. And in the book Zag by Martin Neumeyer, he says the following. He says that when focus is paired with differentiation, supported by a trend and surrounded by compelling communications, you have the basic ingredients of a zag. And again, it doesn't say just have a company communication and there you have, there you have it. No, it talks about focus. The idea of focusing on a very specific thing for a group of people. It talks about differentiation, which is like making sure that you do something that others don't talks about being supported by a trend, which is about surfing on a wave of a global trend, meaning that people are actively seeking that thing. But then he talks about once you have all of these ingredients, yes, you can surround it by company communication. And that's what I've been talking about from the start. And that's the fatal mistake that most uh, people do. In Purple Cow, Seth Godin says, it's basically a choice between two things. Do you want to create safe, ordinary products and then combine them with great quote-unquote marketing? Or do you want to create remarkable products that the right people seek out? So I would challenge you to think about brands and artists that you admire. Chances are there are very little gap between what they say 
and how they say it and how the brand uh, is being perceived out there. And that's really truly is a way to radically differentiate is to have a congruence between those two things and to really pay attention to the behavior that we have throughout and to have marketers influencing everything that we do for the group, the right group of people, instead of just being there to communicate stuff. So if you think about Daft Punk, for example, that is fighting the star system that just creates copycat artists, they believe in, good, in, in creating very, very good music that you can't simply make on an iPad. Think about it. If they, were started, they had started to remove the helmets during photo shoots on the world and speak out loud and showing their face and think about the fact that if they had started to churn way more music than they used to, that used to be lower quality. And then they used to do like gigs all over the shop that were boring, a bit like everyone else's. Think about the discrepancy between how people would have perceived them and what they would have said. They would have failed in their radical differentiation and they would have made the fatal, fatal mistake of trying to be seen a specific way without doing the job. Think about Basecamp, the project management software that is known to, to fight this monopoly of Google and believes in, in privacy. Imagine if in their email they were starting to use trackers, if they were starting to sell their data. I imagine if you discover that Basecamp were actually selling your emails behind the scenes. Imagine the impact they would have on you and your perception of their brand. And so the reason why Basecamp has such a, a strong brand is not because of their features or their pricing or the way they say certain stuff or the message or anything like that. It's because everything is congruent. Their behavior as a whole is congruent because it comes from within, from a fight that they have against the monopoly of Google and the privacy side. And then finally for me, imagine if I starting to, to sell you software I didn't really believe in. If, imagine if in this uh, episode, you'd find an ad for ClickFunnels, for example, that promotes growth hacking and all of that. Imagine that how impactful it would have been for the perception of the brands, for everyone else marketers, and how incongruent it would have become. And so this is what we really need to manage as marketers. It's not about the communication part, which Mark Ritson argues to be only 8% of the job. It's about focusing on diagnosing the right thing, focusing on your market, focusing on knowing what to do next and what not to do, which is strategy, and then the tactics come later on. That's our job as marketers, as change makers, and that's how you should see it as an entrepreneur who wants to sell more or as a CEO. So here is my advice on how to tackle that problem and how to avoid that fatal mistake in the future. So the first thing is to update your brain in a sense. If you're a marketer, you have the right to have a say about the experience people are going through and about the four P's, the product, the price, the place, the promotion. And it's not just about communication. And you don't have to be just in product marketing to have a say about the product. My second advice is to become very familiar with the diagnosis, strategy, tactics side of things. And I'm just gonna let Mark Ritson explain this concept. Marketing itself is about a, about a hundred years old, and if you study at any level marketing, you discover that we've been saying the same thing for a whole century. Strategy is the middle part. So if you imagine that the starting point for marketing each year or when you take over a new job is diagnosis, is understanding the market, building a segmentation. Strategy then becomes the choices that you make about what you will, and actually more importantly, what you won't do having then understood and diagnosed the market. And in my world, I mean, and this is how I do it, and I wouldn't say this is always the only way to do it, but in my world with brands, I would say that comes down to answering three questions well, answering what you will and also what you won't do. It's about having clear targeting from the segmentation you've built. 
It's about very tight, distinctive positioning to the market in terms of what you will and won't stand for and what your aim is to to represent to the consumer. And then finally, a a set of a very small set of strategic objectives relating to what you intend to achieve in the market, which, again, in my world is in the next 12 months. I don't believe planning more than a 12 month cycle works at all in marketing, in finance and in corporate world. It does. But in marketing, what will be your goals Uh, specific goals and objectives for the 12 months ahead. So for me, that's what strategy is. It's making choices about who we will and won't go after, what we will and won't stand for, and what we will achieve by a certain time period. The third advice is to demand to spend time with customers, to talk to customer-facing staff, to listen to sales call, to read chat logs, to meet customers where they are if you can, to even observe them in, their, in, in a buying context, to watch uh, website recordings of purchasers, to read surveys and all of that, so that you can really immerse yourself into the diagnosis part, which frankly is the most important part, understanding your market very well doubling down on who you seek to serve. Once marketers own that part, it becomes way easier to do the rest because we have the knowledge about what we should know the most, which is our market. That's what marketing is about. My fourth advice is to identify opportunities on the journey based on that. And I know it's a bit of a cliche to use the word journey, but that's what it is. Identify opportunities out there when it comes to what you do and what you don't do. Where is there a discrepancy between what is said and what is actually being done? How can you improve things so that the the market you seek to serve will really enjoy what you do? What can you remove that could have an impact? My fifth advice is to share your learnings and to become known as the go-to market expert inside the organization. And to convince your boss to go after this and to use that approach, don't send them spreadsheets of numbers and whatever, no. Send them call recordings of customers, put together a summary of voice of customer data, make your team sit on calls with you, make them listen to sales call. They need to understand how people perceive them to really understand what's going on. It's not enough to just to share market share report and data. From In my experience, the easiest way to, to convince people is to show the real deal, how people think of your brand. My sixth advice is to mimic behavior, not features or messages. Think deep about the brands and artists you admire and look at what they are doing across the journey, before, after, during. What are they doing and what are they not doing? What are they saying and what are they not saying? You will see a congruence. You will see patterns. You will see that they have to sacrifice a lot in order to do a few things very well. And then my last advice is that if it doesn't work, if that approach doesn't work and you can't influence your boss to have a bigger seat at the table, uh, if you've tried hard enough, then I would say it's time for you to reconsider your position. And hopefully, if you can, because I know in today's day and age, it's not as easy as that. If you can, searching for companies that you admire, uh, a product or service that you buy yourself, that you love to use yourself, checking Glassdoor reviews of companies out there, and really go after a, a company that you really believe in that understands the true value of what marketing truly is, which is, once again, not about communicating and marketing a product that is already there, but truly influencing the creation of it from start to finish. That's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. 
I'm pouring my heart and soul into this. Uh, it will mean a lot to me if you check out the newsletter that goes with this podcast at everyonehatesmarketers.com. I send this newsletter every Tuesday. It's packed with very practical, step-by-step, actionable ways for you to radically stand out. And when you sign up, you also get access to a free eight-lesson course on the same topic. All right, see you on the other side. And that's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at everyonehatesmarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple uh, days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, skim through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content that's coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.